This is Alicia Free, a badass belly dancer, musician, and real food enthusiast, here to help you feel a little lighter. Each show will dive into music that makes us want to dance. We'll share secrets of looking smoking hot in costume and everyday life. We'll dote on delicious whole food that makes us glow. And I'll throw in a damn sexy dance move you can try at home. Kamra is Chicago's first trans-masculine belly dancer. Kamra has been dancing since 2001, and Kamra performs and teaches what we used to call tribal fusion and American cabaret, Lebanese, and Egyptian belly dance throughout the U.S., Kamra is also a member of Rock's Geek, a geek belly dance and fire company that was recently nominated as runner-up for Best Dance Troupe in Chicago. We'll talk more about that. Kamra is also a trained massage therapist and has studied martial arts. We recorded this interview back in December of 2020. We were adopting our second child in South Korea, yes, during COVID, and I discovered Kamra online and got so excited to interview Kamra that I did it without my microphone. So I apologize that the sound quality is not that great throughout the interview, but you can still hear the amazing nuggets that Kamra has to offer about differences between Egyptian and Lebanese dance styles, about inclusiveness, and including all genders in our belly dance classes and belly dance community and glute squeezes. So please forgive the sound quality and enjoy the show. Kamra, you teach workshops all over the U.S. at festivals like Tribal Fest and Tribal Revolution. I was looking through your class and workshop descriptions on your site, tattooedbellydancer.com, and I was intrigued by the workshop focusing more on Lebanese dance. What do you think makes Lebanese belly dance unique? Most dancers know American cabaret or they know Egyptian style. The dancer Amani, who is a Lebanese dancer, she actually brought up a controversy over whether there actually is a specific Lebanese or Egyptian style rather than just this is how I dance. But there are some similarities between the artists and we can sort of describe them that way. In Egyptian style, I describe it as almost like a spectrum in terms of energy projection. So Egyptian dance is very internally focused, the idea of tarab and connecting to the music. And Lebanese is a little bit more externally focused. So it's a little bit more focused on the audience and interaction and just really doing a lot of energy movement that is more up. There's also more athletic moves that are more common in Turkish, you know, moves like Turkish drop and big high kicks and big spins and stuff like that, that we're a little bit more used to seeing in what we might consider American cabaret. That's a lot of what they do in Lebanese style dancing. And then they also use props really, really differently. So if you see a Lebanese dancer dancing with Kane and you're sitting there going, this is not a Saidi song, that's actually just how they do Kane. So some of the props are a little bit different. The energy is a little bit different than Egyptian style. And they're all great. I love all the styles. Lebanese is what I started with. So my first teacher was heavily Lebanese influenced. She would show these dancers to us like Amani and Hawaida Hashem, uh, who actually recently came out of retirement. I was so excited and was able to see videos of her from just a couple of years ago after decades of not seeing videos of her. But my first teacher showed us these dancers and said, dance like them. And I was really influenced. And then when I discovered that there were other styles of belly dance, I went and researched it a lot more and discovered that it was more Lebanese style. And then there's dancers like Dina Jamal and Bushra that I've found more recently, too. It's a lot of fun. I really, really love Lebanese dance. I watched a video. The dancer came out on camels. 
It was yes. just a production, you know? And there were so many frame drums in Davul. She was surrounded by these drums everywhere she went in this giant space that she was dancing. It was very theatrical. Yeah, that tends to be a lot more theatrical. It's more of a show. There was one, and it might have been an old video, or maybe it's kind of gone into legend, but I'm pretty sure it was Hawaii Hashem that actually arrived on stage in a hot air balloon. <laughs> So yeah, they're usually big productions. Belly dance is put on TV in Lebanon and they'll have dancers come on with musicians and stuff like that. So it's much more of like a show. Right. We don't really have belly dancers on TV, on talk shows frequently in the U.S. Like you see in the Turkish talk shows in the 80s and 90s and whatnot. Maybe now too. Maybe I'm just watching the old videos. (laughs) Right. I know some of the stuff I'm thinking, I don't know if they do this anymore. It seems like this is from the 90s. Yeah. And then you realize that the 90s was like... 30 years ago. <laughs> so when you're talking about the projection of energy, is that about eye contact or gaze? It can be. It's more about the energy the dancer projects on stage and what she's trying to do. I can't speak as a huge expert, but my understanding in Tarab is, is the music carries the dancer to such ecstasy that they move to the music without having to think about choreography and am I doing this right and all that kind of stuff. So the energy is very focused inwards on listening to the music and hearing it and letting your body transform the music into movement. And in Lebanese dance, I'm sure they have this, and a lot of this is all kind of generalization type stuff. So it's not necessarily, oh, there is no such thing as trab in Lebanese dance. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that what you see more often is in general that the energy is projected outwards. So it's more interaction with the audience. It's more about putting on a show. It's about athletic movements and showing off. And here's all these cool things that I can do. And again, that's a generalization, but that's kind of the energy projection idea. Cool. I never thought about jumping to different kinds of energy projection from song to song based on what you want to get out of it or what you want the audience to get out of it. I'm percolating with that right now. Danceable ritual. Do you have a danceable ritual you would like to share? I do. The Suhela style glute squeezes, I do them everywhere. Because in Chicago, we have big winter coats on. If I'm waiting for a bus, I'm doing glute squeezes because you can't see it under the coat. If I'm washing dishes, glute squeezes. If I'm vacuuming, I'm doing glute squeezes while I'm walking around because that's a type of layering, right? You have to be able to walk and do glute squeezes. And I don't do it as much anymore, but when I was working on learning finger symbols and chest circles and undulations, I used to do it when I was sitting at the red lights when I was driving. You can practice almost anywhere. My idea is that any movement that I could practice anywhere, I would just do it wherever I was. (laughs) Mainly glute squeezes. Tell me more about the benefits of doing glute squeezes. I do a lot of hip-focused work. All of that comes from glute squeezes, and that comes from So I just recently passed my Jamila level one with her. Yay! And I'll be working on Suhela level two. So that all comes from what Suhela does, where it's strongly focused on glute squeezes, and that helps you actually layer. So if you're using your obliques or your knees for your hip work, then that takes out what you can do on top of it. So if you're using your obliques for your hip movements, then it's very difficult to do like chest slides or chest circles, and you can train yourself to do it. It's just very difficult to do it that way. So glute squeezes are not easy because you have to train glute squeezes, but they're easier to layer once you get the glute squeezes down. It's easier to layer stuff on top of them than to try to use obliques or knees. Aha! 
I knew they were important, but I didn't know how. <laughs> cool. Did you get to hear the interviews I did with Suhaila on this show? No, I need to listen to that. She's great. I haven't taken any of her format yet. That's my dream chunk of time someday. You can actually get all of it online, which is what I did. So my Jamila level one was done all online, which was great because I had been trying to get my JL1 for so long, never had time. I tried to bring Abby in to do workshop weekend and get the test, but that didn't work out. I'm glad it was finally online. So I'm like, yes, I can finally get it. Nice. I interview Abby or Abigail Keys on a past episode of this podcast too. She's great. The whole Salampur collective and community is just fantastic. Oh, yeah. My first teacher was American Cabaret, and I did that for almost a decade before I found Fusion. And then my first Fusion teacher was Abby's DVD as Ashura. And I didn't know who Suhela was. I mean, I had seen her dance because my first teacher had shown us videos of her, but I didn't know that she had this huge format and this training school and all that. I knew nothing about that part of it. And so basically everything that I did was straight from Abby. And that was how I based my practice. And then I realized, oh, all of that's from Suhela. So everything that I've done is Suhela technique. It's just come through Abby. (laughs) Nice. In the bio on your website, you use the pronoun they rather than he or she. And on your website, you write that students of all genders and presentations are always welcome and supported at any of your classes and workshops. How do you put that into practice? What can we all learn about being inclusive right now? I do use they, them, or he, him. So either one is fine. And I like to tell people that either are equally correct. So if they struggle a little bit with they, them, because I know that's a little bit odd for some people, use he, him. And I really feel that it's important to be inclusive right now. The belly dance world is going through a lot in terms of being inclusive, mainly trying to be more inclusive of everybody. I just feel like the next generation, so Generation Z that's coming up, they're considered one of the queerest generations. They're really into making sure that people are inclusive and that there's no appropriation going on and that sort of thing. So if we want to attract them to this dance, we have to cater to that and I think there's a lot of people who would really enjoy belly dancing, but don't do it because they have this idea that belly dance is this weird hobby that only certain women do, and they don't fit that category. They don't think belly dance is for them. And actually, I've gone viral on TikTok twice now, and most of the comments that I've gotten are, I never knew there were male belly dancers. It's just this idea that there aren't any male belly dancers. And so we need to make sure that we're attracting the people that we want to see in the dance. So if we have this really queer generation coming up in which they may not identify as women, but they still want to be included, then we need to cater to that unless we want to see our class sizes declining. So if people come into a class and they see other people that look like them, that's going to make them a lot more comfortable. And then they're more likely to stay. If they feel comfortable, if they feel accepted and welcome, then they're going to stay and they're going to keep coming back. And in terms of the best way to be inclusive, at least for genders, is to get rid of a lot of the heavily gendered language in classes. So if you come into class and you're like, hi, ladies, you need to throw that away. Because even if you think everyone in your class is a woman, they may not be. They might be questioning their gender. They may feel uncomfortable with being heavily gendered anyway, even if they're unsure about their gender. You might have a trans man in your class. Also, this idea of the goddess dance, you know, womb dance and all that stuff. All of that just, it's, none of it is really true anyway. We kind of call that wishtery because you wish it was this history, but it's not. And so adding that is 
definitely appropriation and it's incorrect. And you're going to exclude the people that you may be trying to attract in your classes. I've talked to a couple other male dancers who feel really singled out when a teacher comes in and says, ladies and gentlemen, sorry. So get rid of that and just address the room as dancers or everybody or y'all if you're in the South. I grew up in the South, so y'all works fine. I used to work at Planned Parenthood and we were so excited when we finally got a bathroom sign that had three images on it. We're like, it's still not perfect, but we're getting yeah. there. Great advice. Thank you. Yeah. When I say a goddess dance, I didn't think about how much that does exclude a lot of people. It never occurred to me. And the thought of it being appropriation, like me taking this because I want it to be goddess dance. I didn't think about those aspects of it. So thank you. Sure. Yeah. And there's nothing really wrong with putting it in your own personal practice. I mean, I do like ecstatic dance sometimes, but I don't consider that part of belly dance. There's belly dance in it because that's what I'm trained in, but I don't put it on stage. I don't call it belly dance. I don't put it in the history, that sort of stuff. So you can still do that. You just can't really call it belly dance and expect people to be okay with that. Right. You have a science background and career, and you are part of Rocks Geek, a Chicago-based geek belly dance and fire troupe with a really good Chewbacca costume. <laughs> I was loving on YouTube. It sounds so entertaining. I'm all for making every show new and exciting while also preserving the beauty of classic, whatever that means to you. But I'm really <laughs> into bringing something new into every show if possible. How did you become connected to Rock's Geek? When I lived in Arizona, I performed my infamous Silent Hill nurse piece. And I performed that for the first time at Maheen's show. She was actually the one who told me about Rock's Geek and Dawn. Maheen of Phoenix, Arizona was actually the first dancer I ever interviewed on this podcast back in episode 16. It's a great interview if you want to check it out to see who Kamra is talking about. So Maheen, there's an email list that she does, the Belly Dance Quickies. And it was at her Fully Fusion show. When I first did the Silent Hill piece, I was terrified that I would be booed out of the show, that no one would like it, that it would just be too weird. Everyone would hate it. And Maheen was like, no, this is what I want. I want the weird stuff. This is the whole point of the show. And so it made me feel so much better that she was like, please be weird. So I had this geeky belly dance thing all ready to go. And then I heard about Rock's Geek from a friend of mine who was in Read My Hips, which is the troupe that Dawn was in. So Dawn is the director of Rock's Geek. I actually stalked Dawn on social media. So I stalked Dawn on Facebook and I friended her and I messaged her and was like, hey, I would really love to be in your show. I have this Silent Hill nurse piece. I think it'll fit right in. And the response, of course, I got was, well, you know, we're full. We, we don't really need any more people in the show, which I kind of expected because Dawn didn't know me at all. But she watched the video and really liked the nurse piece and was like, we have to get this in the show. So I was too late to do the Rocks Geek show because it used to be just a one-off. It was like once a year, that was all we did. Now it's a more regular show. So I missed that, but she hired me for C2E2, which is Chicago's big comic book convention. So she booked me for an after party for C2E2 and everyone just loved it. And so Dawn was like, okay, yeah, we're gonna bring you in. And I basically became a member of the main cast that way. <laughs> so it was all because of Silent Hill and my nurse piece. <laughs> I knew it was going to be an interesting story. Some fun connection with everything else. So. Yep, definitely. <laughs> I've always been excited about things becoming cool in the geek realm, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's been great. We've had all sorts of fun shows. We get hired for geeky weddings. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I've had so much fun being part of Rock's Geek. Awesome. 
Can you tell me what Silent Hill means? So Silent Hill, it's a video game. Okay. And it's a horror game. It's what they call survival horror. I don't know if you've ever heard of Resident Evil, but it's a little bit like that. So survival horror is Resident Evil is another one. They actually made a movie out of Silent Hill. They made two of them. It was a little cheesy, but it's a horror movie. So they're all a little cheesy. Nice. Okay, cool. Now it's time for some music. Danceable song. Is there a danceable song that you want to share? Absolutely. It's a little fusion-y. I'm obsessed with Bjork's song, Crystalline that was remixed by Omar Suleiman. It has this Arabic groove to it, and I love it for drills. It's kind of a slower song, so it's really good if you're <laughs> struggling with something <laughs> to drill to that song because it's a little bit slower, and so it's a little easier to drill to it. And then there's a whole section that I drill my flutters to, and you, you have to hear it in order to know what I'm talking about. But there's a section that's absolutely perfect for flutters. I love Bjork. I haven't listened to her in a while. Yeah, I've been a fan of Bjork, but I haven't really followed her closely. Her music's great, but it's not like my usual thing. And then when I heard this Crystalline song, and I heard it first, the remix version, I was like, I have to have this. And I wasn't sure if it was Bjork or not, because it sounded like her, but I wasn't entirely certain. I'm like, I have to find this song no matter what I do. I need to find it. Luckily, I did. <laughs> nice. nice. I'll add that to the Belly Dance Body and Soul playlist. Absolutely. Let's do some dancing. Damn sexy dance move. <laughs> what is one of your favorite belly dance moves that you can teach us to do right now? So I'm a big fan of twists. I put twists in everything. I love them so much. So my favorite one is actually what I call the traveling twist step. It probably has other names with other people, but basically it's a twist where you travel, either going around a circle or to the right and left. If you're going to the right, your right foot is going to start in front and the left steps behind it. So you step out to the right, the left joins it. So you're just stepping right, left, right, left to the side. Then when you're stepping on the right, you put your weight on the right foot and you twist your right hip forward using the waist instead of your knee. So you don't ever want to twist the knee whenever you're doing twists. So then I basically plant the foot down and push my hip forward. And then when I step on the left foot, I release the front foot, the right foot, and the hip twists backwards. So you're twisting front on the right, back on the left. <laughs> is it like a sidewinder? No, sidewinder for me is actually an upper body thing. So it's a twist like this. Sorry, you get to see my Star Wars pajama pants. <laughs> yeah, so twisting to the right and then to the left. So it's actually a traveling move. So you're stepping right, left, right, left, and then your hip goes forward on the right, back on the left. I love having a whole bunch of travel moves. Absolutely. Especially because Fusion gets this rightful stereotype of you just stand in the center of the stage and do a whole bunch of glitchy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you know, you can do travels. And I mean, I use the twist up even in Fusion stuff. So it's great. It can be done fast or slow. You can do it on Releve. It's actually easier on Releve. So you can get it going faster if you're on Releve. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's my oh, favorite. Good point. I always default to Releve and, and moves like that. I should try it flat-footed too and see how that feels. It's a little harder flat-footed because your feet tend to hit each other unless you're really stepping behind. Cool. I watched a video of you doing a barrel turn with your sword extended. <laughs> it's so badass. If I did that, I would hit the floor. <laughs> what are some tips for making your sword performances interesting, dynamic, and bold? I actually have a workshop for this. It's a good workshop. I actually did a Tribal Rev a couple years ago. So the main idea is the sword is not meant to be a hat. 
So you shouldn't just plunk it on your head and that's the only thing you do with it. It's not going to be as exciting. I think of balancing on the head as more of a climax of the piece rather than the full piece. People may disagree with me and that's fine. I find that the sword balancing part is the easiest part. But the audience doesn't know that. <laughs> so they think the head balancing part is the hard thing. The hardest thing for me is doing turns with it on my head. I usually use that as a closing thing. But basically what I do is I try to find other places to balance the sword working up to the head. So I'll balance it on my wrist or I'll balance it on my leg or I'll balance it on my shoulder, putting the sword on your chin and pushing your head back. I don't do that a lot just because it usually ends up wiping off some of my makeup. I basically work up to putting it on my head and have the sword on the head be the climax rather than the full piece. And then I do things like cuts and spins and holds rather than just plopping it on my head and leaving it there. I do a really great hand spin, like what people use with cane. I do that with my sword, but it takes a lot more power and a lot stronger wrists to do it than with cane. <laughs> my big sword, I actually don't use it a lot. I only use it when I'm on big stages because it's actually sharp. So it's a live blade. It's not just sharp on the pointy tip, right? Because if you get your swords, like the Bellity scimitars and all those, they're only sharp on the tip. If you slide it off and poke yourself in the foot, it hurts. But my big sword, my Moorish scimitar is actually sharp. Like I can chop apples with it and have. <laughs> so I only dance with that one when I'm on a big stage where the audience isn't going to be nearby because I don't want, you know, some person to get up going, oh, I can do that. And then I end up slicing off a finger or something like that. That would be really bad or stabbing them accidentally. So I only use it in certain shows, but it's actually very heavy, which makes it easier to put on your head. Because it doesn't spin on its own, right? It will stay more in its place. Exactly. Right. Yep. So I love my big scimitar because it's nice and heavy, but it does make it harder to spin. <laughs> The last time I danced with a sword, I'm in a band and the oud player in the band, he also plays guitar and he had this guitar cake for his birthday and he wanted me to come out and dance with a sword and cut the cake <laughs> with the sword. <laughs> it was so much fun. That does sound like fun. People keep telling me I need to chop vegetables or something on stage with my big sword. <laughs> yeah, like a big old watermelon. I don't know, <laughs> the famous comedian that used to do that. Maybe it'd be too much like that. Was that Gallagher? I heard smash watermelons. Oh my God. Uh, I'm going to stop thinking of pomegranates and how much splashing that. <laughs> we play a bunch of songs that are about pomegranates too, because of all the things that they symbolize in the Middle East with fertility and whatnot. And yeah. I, I ate pomegranate for breakfast this morning and that would be really fun to cut and have pink fly everywhere. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Hopefully not someone's house party. Right. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> you have 13 years of experience in a variety of martial arts, including Taekwondo and Kung Fu. And you studied with Lou Elar, writer of Chuck Norris's Sidekicks movie. Has your martial arts training influenced your dance style? And is there a martial art that you think is beneficial for belly dancers to try? Yeah, so I did study with Lou Elar, and that was in Baton Rouge. So it was White Crane Kung Fu. And I think it has influenced my dance some. So I was really awkward as a kid. You know, when you're a teenager and you don't really have control over your limbs because they're growing so fast, you know, it's just 
don't have a lot of coordination. I had that, but then more so. So it was just really hard for me to like control my own body. I didn't really have any discipline, anything like that. So martial arts trained me to be more disciplined and to be aware of what my body was doing more. So I had to be able to keep track of both of my arms at the same time, because if I'm blocking with one, then I have to be ready to either block with the other one or I'm punching or something like that. So that whenever I was actually in a sparring match, I could defend myself and attack at the same time or, you know, just be able to coordinate a little bit better. So it gave me being able to coordinate both sides of my body at the same time, which helps with layering because you're trying to do more than one thing at the same time. And then it also gave me a lot more confidence. So when I was in martial arts, as a beginner, I was in Taekwondo and my sensei liked how I was sparring and he wanted me to try world championships, which I had never been in a tournament before. And he wants me to be in world championships for my first tournament. No pressure, right? Because I was a huge Karate Kid fan. I loved that movie so much as a kid. And it felt a lot like that. There were all the different rings and people fighting. It felt very similar to what Karate Kid actually shows. And I was fighting against a really tall Russian woman who's like, oh my God, she's going to kick my butt. But I ended up winning third place in the world as a beginner. <laughs> so it really gave me the sense of confidence that I could actually do anything because as a beginner, knowing almost nothing, I won third place in the world. So that was actually really good for that. And then we learned these things called kata, which is kind of like a choreographed fight. It's a series of movements that looks a lot like a dance. And you do it usually by yourself. And you present it as kind of a choreography. When you do your belt ceremonies, you have to learn certain katas for each belt level. And having to learn those katas really helped me with dance choreography. So I pick up dance stuff fast because I've been training most of my life to do either choreographies and dance or choreographies with kata. The movements are different, of course, but the cross training is really good. In terms of martial arts for dance, any sort of movement training is going to be good for dance. It's going to be good for balance and coordination and confidence and all of that. But in terms of the movements themselves, what we call the hard styles like taekwondo and karate are going to be harder to put into dance. But things that are more like softer styles, like Kung Fu and Tai Chi, those are more like dances anyway, if they're done, especially with certain katas. And so that might translate a little bit better. And I've considered doing a fusion with karate, but I'm still trying to figure out how I want to do that. I have a song, but I need to figure out how I actually want to do it. The other thing is that dancers tend to not enjoy martial arts that much because it's really hard on the body. You're going to be covered in bruises all the time. <laughs> if you're performing on stage, you're going to have to be covering up those bruises a lot. So it may not be the best for dance, but it's actually really good exercise and it's great for confidence and training and that sort of thing. So yeah. Cool. One of the women I used to dance with, she just shifted all into, I don't remember which martial arts form she went into, but I was like, okay, see you later. And that was that. Yeah. I miss it so much, but it's just so hard on the body. I still love it unendingly, <laughs> but I just I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Some people do it like four or five days a week too, right? Yep. I didn't think about the similarities with choreography too, because mm -hmm. when you're learning certain parts of, of any fighting style, you have to learn some choreography, some chunks of movements, right? So mm -hmm. yep. Very cool. Now let's take a moment to dote on delicious whole food that makes us dancers glow. Featured light in my body food. What is one vegan whole food ingredient that you love? So I'm not entirely certain it counts as a whole food, but basically coconut yogurt, you only need two ingredients. 
So to make it yourself, you don't have to get the flavored kind, which are good, but you basically only need coconut milk and then lactobacillus, which you can get in the little capsules and you can just make your own coconut yogurt. There was a brand that I recently found because a lot of them are a little bit watery, but there's one, it's just like eating cream cheese and it's really yummy with bananas. And so I say that if we want to consider coconut yogurt as a whole food. (laughs) We'll consider it on the spectrum towards the whole food. (laughs) had some coconut yogurt and I don't know what was wrong with it but it was like too sour I don't know if it was actually bad tried it again and it was so creamy so you got to be forgiving with the coconut yogurt a little bit but I want to try it because then you can stop it wherever you want along the fermentation process right if you make it yourself yeah so I just bought cheesecloth this weekend to see if I can make my own yogurt because I have different cans of coconut milk to Uh see which brand does better you can find websites that talk about what coconut milk brands work best but a lot of those are hard to find for me so I just grabbed a whole bunch from various places and now I'm going to try out and see which ones work better so yes look at the scientist in here yep I even have my own sourdough starter so my microbiologist in me is very happy with this yeah I love everything about coconuts so do I coconut milk ice cream is so good it's so good Oh, God, you can get it in Bangkok and other places in Thailand. They'll serve it in a coconut shell with mm. corn and red beans in it. Oh, which that is, sounds so good. I love it. Finding vegan ice cream when you travel can be challenging sometimes. And we definitely have walked the cow's milk town. <laughs> which is funny because my son's like yeah cow's milk but yeah the coconut ice cream yeah every time I try regular cow milk anymore it just makes me so sick so I can't have it anymore so I have to have coconut milk and I started baking with it I made the most amazing coconut chocolate ganache for a cake a while back it was so good I'll eat that with a spoon (laughs) cool let's play dress up Make you shine, costume tip. What is one costume tip you want to share? So just minor complaint first, costuming is really hard as a man. Almost no one makes costumes for men. And every time I say this, they're like, oh, you can get a custom one in Egypt. I'm like, yeah, because traveling to Egypt is really common right now and cheap. And I can go and drop a couple thousand dollars for a costume. Sure. (laughs) Right? It's really hard as a man. So I've had to learn how to find my own things. So if you're on a budget, try to find things that you can use in multiple styles and multiple pieces. I never shop costuming for just one thing. I'll find I like this piece or I like this piece. And then I'll start to match things together when I can. For women, the idea of, oh, you should get a silver bedla. Well, okay, but... What else are you going to pair it with? So getting mix and match pieces that you can actually work. So like a silver or gold skirt, something like that, that you can actually use with multiple bedlas, that you can actually keep that skirt. Because one bedla is just one bedla, but that skirt you can put under multiple bedlas. And black is not as useful as people say it is. Everyone's like, get a black skirt and you'll be fine. No, because black curtains are really common in shows and if they are not lit properly which a lot of times they are not then you're going to disappear into the curtain (laughs) so no black skirts and go for more mix and match pieces in terms of skirt pieces rather than just bedlas you wear a lot of chest jewelry do you have to make that yourself i have made some myself but most of what i have i've bought from other people and people do make body chains to go over more fusion style costuming for women and i wear those just without wearing a bedla underneath so yeah it looks really nice so you call it body chains okay yeah i didn't think about that i have it so easy in terms of inheriting costumes i just have to make them a little smaller but to make Mm -hmm. things bigger is a whole different story 
Yeah, I'm tiny, so I don't <laughs> usually have to make them bigger. Most people realize I'm 5'3", and they're like, wait, what? Oh, I, I thought so- you were like 6'3". No. <laughs> oh, okay, so you can wear body chains and stuff that are more, okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that a lot. Everyone tells me that I look tall, and <laughs> so I give off tall vibes. But yeah, I'm 5'3". <laughs> Cool. Okay, great. So just having versatile pieces, mm-hmm. focusing more on skirts that you can use a lot, not just bedla. Yeah, especially if you're on a budget, that makes it a little bit easier. So you're not trying to buy so many different costume pieces that you might only wear once or for one show or for one particular piece. So a little bit more versatile. Feel good. Look good habit. Do you have a feel good, look good habit that you want to share? Moisturize. And that actually means from the inside too. I drink a lot of water. So any type of moisture, water, moisturize your face. We're going to really help with basically everything. So it helps with preventing wrinkles. It is going to eventually cut down on acne. I know people are like, oh my God, I need to dry my face out. No, (laughs) you need to make lots of moisture for your face. And so drinking water and moisturizing it is the best thing, especially if you have oily skin like me. (laughs) I'm just discovering this. So I just turned 40 and I put so much nice lotion on my face in the morning, massage my face. And I'm like, why wasn't I doing this for the last 20 years? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But yeah, it's so nice to discover that. Hey, have you ever tried aloe drinks? Have you ever heard anything about that in terms of actually moisturizing? No, no. I mainly just do water. That's my main thing. (laughs) I ran out of lotion last time I was in Thailand and I don't want to have something with like snail serum in it or whatever. So anyway, I was like, all right, I'm just going to put aloe and I put aloe on my face and it never went into my skin. It always just stayed on top. (laughs) I'm like, I don't think it's really doing much. I was just trying to use it as a moisturizer. I was like, maybe this is a a great idea. And then I finally got some some lotion. Your massage therapist background and knowledge of anatomy helps you perform and teach safe, powerful, body-aware movements. Is there a move that you see many dancers do right now that might actually be hurting them? So yeah, there are some dancers that do these big chest lifts. They're kind of this explosive chest lift to hit those really high-tech pops, but they end up going more into the mid and low back, and someday you're going to just tear a muscle or you're going to have low back problems. And there's ways that you can do that really powerful chest lift without actually impacting your posture and your back. And what I mean by that is when dancers really throw their shoulders back and then try to thrust the chest as high as they can, that's impacting your dance posture. So if you're having to move your shoulders with it, then it's more into the mid back and into the low back, and that's where you're going to get injured. So If you work on the upper back, so getting the chest lifts to come from in between the shoulder blades instead and work on developing strength and flexibility there instead of in the mid or low back, you can still do those big chest pops. I do huge chest pops when I do drum solos and stuff like that, but I'm not putting them into my low back and I don't thrust my shoulders back because that's going to throw your pelvis back. So whenever you do something where you throw the shoulders, your spine curves. And so you're thrusting your pelvis forward, making like a sway back, and that's going to kill your low back. Now, when you're doing a back bend, that's not a sway back. That's different because you're leading from the shoulders or? It depends on how you do the back bend. So there are some people who are naturally flexible who can do that. It's only one factor, but back bends are dependent a lot on how long your spinal processes are when you feel your spine those little bumps you feel those are your spinous processes and if they're really long then whenever you're 
trying to do a backbend, they run into each other. So they tip and there's an actual bony limit to how far back you can go. And so if you keep trying to push that, you may be injuring your bone whenever you're going backwards. And so you may have to find other ways to go into a backbend. There are ways where you don't have to involve the low back. So there's like the hinge one where you just hinge backwards. Like Rachel Bryce is famous for it. She does the full layback where just like you're bending forward, she bends over backwards. And a lot of that, not all of it, of course, is just working on flexibility, but then also spinal anatomy. If you wanted to get into backbends, but aren't sure, there are things that you can do to train. So training your abs and training your thighs, which seems really counterintuitive, right? They're like, I should get stronger in my back. Well, because you're going over backwards, you have to have something to support your back. So the stronger your thighs, the easier it will be to backbend. And then you can go up and over and come into the backbend from the upper back before you get into the low back. I started working on floor work again recently, and I would love to be able to just lay down without using my hands. I'm not there yet. When I finally realized my thighs needed the work, I was like, this is what I've been missing. My thighs need to be built up. Yep. So, so that's been a big aha moment for me. I've been here <laughs> 20 years, and I'm finally figuring stuff out. It's very funny. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Tell us about something exciting that you have coming up. I am working on a whole YouTube set of online videos, so instructionals, basics. So if people want to come take online classes with me or come to in-person classes whenever those start happening again, then they're prepared for how I teach and the movements that I do and the vocabulary. So I'm hoping to have an online school where people can sign up and they can take live classes with me or they can take pre-recorded classes. So there'll be two different kinds of classes. I'm doing the research for it and finding out what's the best tools and website stuff to use for that. So I'm still in the planning stages for it. By the end of 2021, I want to have it up. So we'll see. <laughs> nice. And what you were saying before about inclusivity, too, because we're not doing in-person classes when people see an instructor that they identify with in some way. That's going to help them feel welcome into an art forum or to a dance forum, I should say, right? I didn't think about that aspect, too, of online learning. Absolutely. So many people contact me and they're like, oh, my gosh, I never knew that men belly danced. This is probably going to cause me to cry. I had a, a mom contact me and thank me for being open and being visible as a male belly dancer, not just being trans, but being a male belly dancer and being open about it. Her son loved belly dance, thought it was so much fun and was good at it and he really enjoyed it and then basically got made fun of because his friends were like oh that's a woman's dance no man would ever do belly dance and then he hasn't done it since it just crushed me to hear that this poor guy was shamed out of doing a dance that men have been doing forever and are just as much a part of it as women are it's super important that we show that men can belly dance men have always been belly dancers that's actually why i started my tiktok because i'm like hey let's show more men belly dancing and all of the comments on there are like i never knew men belly dance and how could i have never known men could belly dance and that sort of thing so yeah. Thank you for what you're doing for people who want to dance and might not feel like it's their place and for giving more people permission to dance and enjoy belly dance. Yes. And thank you for your comments about how we bring the next generation into belly dance too, because we know what we've all gotten out of it and we want to share that with other people. And if they see that road in, it's going to be that much easier. Thanks so much. Yeah. If we want belly dance to keep being able to have workshops and events and big things like that, we need to really be more inclusive. So yeah.
All right. Well, thank you so much again. And you can go to tattooedbellydancer.com or search for Kamra, K-A-M-R-A-H, to see more of Kamra's dance style. And of course, there'll be videos and links on the show notes page for this episode. And thank you so much, Kamra. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and let your friends know what you got out of this show. Dance with me on YouTube, listen to the music I've selected for you on Spotify, and try some free vegan recipes on aliciafree.com. This is Alicia Free, hoping this show helps you feel a little lighter.